Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, guys, um, quite a week. It, it's been, uh, especially when you're talking uh, basketball, um, some really, really big highs. And then, uh, you know, it, it's hard to beat uh, both two top 10 teams and some zebras at the same time. Um, but uh, we got one of the three done uh, as Northwestern went to Michigan State, uh, came out with the win, and then played Wisconsin as tough as, you know, anyone I think has lately. I mean, Wisconsin is a damn good basketball team, and we were right there a lot of the way. Um, we'll get into some of the officiating maybe in a little bit, but uh, what do we make of this, you know, little stretch? I mean, it really is a meat grinder of the schedule. Um, maybe I'll start with my negative Nancy take. Okay, go for it. And that is that the comments we made on our last podcast – or that I made on our last podcast about the Penn State game um, effectively being the end of the Chris Collins era. I, like, I don't think anything about that win over Michigan State changes that. I think, sure. um, interestingly, the Cats were forced to really be creative and thoughtful about their offensive approach in that game because of the the um, injury to Nance and that Elijah Williams was also unable to play in that matchup. And as a result, the cats had an identity that went through Ryan young and yada, 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 yada. They win that game. Nance comes back against Wisconsin and we kind of go back to like offensive. Um, and it's not Nance's fault. Let me be very clear, but, but it goes back to like kind of like just offensive purgatory of, um, lack of identity and weird shots. Free, free for all early in the shot shots. clock. Yes. And I just like, nothing has changed this team still has a lot of talent the coaching staff is still like woefully out of their depth um on that side of the floor and i just i don't think it matters unfortunately it was a it was an epic win it was an incredible game to watch i'm so excited that that the guys on the team got to have that win i love the heart that they played with against wisconsin i just don't think it matters yeah it's it stinks too because it's you have this week where you do have such a massive win on the road, no less, right? Over a top 10 team. and yet Missing your best player. Missing P. Nance. And yet there is this feeling of, right, just kind of malaise, right? And it's there are so many things that are interconnected and, and so much so that there's kind of that piece relative to the Michigan State game of like kind of almost like a little bit of like – negativity coming out of that game in in that I guess so you have the game where the Michigan State game happens right and then afterwards you have former Northwestern athletes and the Northwestern basketball Twitter account taking square aim at things that people in the Northwestern community said prior to that game right and it's funny because if you look at a lot of those comments those comments didn't really say much other than this game's going to go really poorly. Um, yeah, it's, it's some, some classic woe is me, like we're right. going to get killed. Right, um, right. And it wasn't like dot, 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 Ewing theory type uh, right. outcomes. Exactly. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, in some dark 
moldy corner of Twitter. There wasn't someone in Northwestern Nation somewhere, probably, who was like, this team sucks, like, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, something legit stupid, right? It ain't the dark, moldy corners, my friend. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> but, I mean, it was like the... But in this particular case with a lot of these people, it was more just like malaise, right? Yeah. And... Yeah, yeah. And, and like, a, oh, God, no Pete Nance like that does not bode well. Right. And it stinks because in in the after in the aftermath of that, right, there was that that almost just degree of like, you know, the again, the Twitter account, former athletes like taking square aim at a lot of Northwestern people and being like, you know, um, to quote, quote, Charlie, the unicorn, shun the nonbeliever. Um, and I think the that almost kind of was you know a little bit of a of a pall coming out of the win because it cast into sharp relief right the fact that i mean it was funny like i found myself going through you know after the the northwestern basketball twitter account tweeted something and was like i wish you know all everyone who made you know a comment off of this initial post plus like all of the quote t- tweaks you know that all could be brought over to um uh, oldtakesexposed.com, right? And I almost found myself going down looking at like a lot of those quote tweets and a lot of those comments and stuff, a lot of from people we know, right? And being like, at what point in the past four and a half years did each one of these people finally, you know, reach that tipping point of malaise? And But I mean, like also, you, ha- you have to be... In- I don't know what your mindset would be to go into that game knowing there's no Nance, knowing there's no Elijah Williams, knowing you're on the road against the number 10 team in the country. It's a legitimate take. It's a legitimate take. Sure, sure, like, sure. I, for, for, the, for the official Twitter feed to get bent out of shape because people are like, oh boy, this could, this could be rough. Right. That is... Uh, that, mm. So that's first. So first of we all, we blew a ten point lead to Penn State at home. Right. So I mean, yeah. so first, so first of all, right in a vacuum, like you're not going to have as much of like the the negativity or the pessimism, right? But you're but you're absolutely right. Like it's still like was like a tall order. But I guess the the larger point is it it had the effect right of of casting back into relief. Well, there's a reason why everyone was acting this way, right? Because of the past four and a half years. And the way that this team, you know, has things have gone wrong and have gone wrong in a really specific way. And it's funny, you know, we talk about the officiating and everything, but multiple people made the point on Twitter after the game, right? That it's like, yeah, we've we've gotten screwed on the officiating. And yet, you know, when you zoom out, it's just so easy to just fold this into this last four and a half years because like... Northwestern finds a way to lose close Big Ten games like we just do. And, you know, it's been a long stretch of this exact same thing happening. And it, it's funny. Um, I was I was thinking about this and thinking about no spoilers, but I was uh, for, for those of you who are watching um, Book of uh, Boba Fett right now, they're. Episode three, I, I, again, I'm not going to spoil it. I know Scuzz, amongst other people, is not caught up. But um, when I say Vespa Power Rangers, those of you who are <laughs> caught up will know what I mean when I say Vespa Power Rangers. And, um, you know, we're all listeners to the Ringers podcast and Mallory Rubin and all the amazing things Mallory Rubin does. And listening to Mallory Rubin's take on the Vespa Power Rangers where she managed somehow to strike the perfect blend of of like magnanimity and being like 
I'm not oblivious to this being a mistake, but at the same time, I want to believe and I'm so positive. And it was just, it was the perfect tone. And, and I was thinking about that relative to just this stretch, but specifically that reaction after the game, right? Where like, for example, Inside NU took some heat after the game for their reaction going in. And I think of like the heat we took during the football season, right? From a lot of sides for you being like, you guys were just way too optimistic and you led us astray, et cetera. And it's just, it's hard to get the, to hit that mark. It's hard to hit the right mark and be in that perfect place where you're neither too optimistic, never, nor too pessimistic, right? And I think with this, with this basketball team, it's just been a long road. And I think it's, and, and then on the flip side, right, it's totally understandable, like for athletes, right, on the basketball team, but then other athletes in the Northwestern community, right, looking at their friends, right, and being like, these guys don't have the support of the fan base at all, right, and getting super mad about that. And of course, it's not that we don't, like, we support the players, we love the players, but I mean, it, it just, it is what it is, right? It's like the fan base has been pushed to this point over four and a half years of just, there's just this malaise and it stinks. And of course the players are going to be mad about that. And, and their friends and the other former athletes are going to be mad about that and are going to be looking for an opportunity to point a finger and be like, Hey, non-believers, this is what you get. And it's like, so you get it, but it, it, it stinks because then, you know, you have, you have this result and it had the effect of kind of poisoning the well on a fantastic win a little bit. And then of course we immediately, you know, it's followed up by another win that very much gets lumped in with yet another one of these close losses that Northwestern could have won. And, um, you know, it, it's, it just, it is, it just, it, it just kind of continues to cast into sharp relief that, you know, Northwestern basketball, not in a great place right now. I, I want to hit on something that was like a bit of a moment. Uh, particularly for you, John, during the, 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 the Michigan State game, and I've already kind of referenced it a little bit, and then, like, like boomerang on that moment from the Wisconsin game. <laughs> sure. So, um, like, in in the midst of the second half, um, I think the commentators, you know, made a comment around, like, boo-boo's got to bring this game home. And, John, you tweeted, like, no. Well, well, no. I mean, they, they were like, it's on him to do it. And we yeah. were like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it's on him to bring the ball up and distribute, but it's also on him to be distributing that ball to Ryan Young, who is having his way in the post and is drawing fouls at a crazy rate because this was the tweet that you made during the Wisconsin game. Um, and it just it just dovetails with, like, this this coaching stuff kind of being out of its depth. And it's it's that Northwestern really struggles to draw fouls. Except for Ryan Young, who's like 17th in the nation. Northwestern is really bad at two-point field goal shooting percentage. Except Ryan Young, who's actually quite decent. And Wait, is that Jordan Nash's music I hear? Yeah. I mean, it is. It is <laughs> like, the, like we talked to Jordan Nash last year, and we asked him about the death taxes and Ryan Young, and he said, like, every time Ryan Young comes in, you look at like, the score differential, and it's he has a huge impact off the bench. And I think... I think it is totally fine for Ryan Young to come off the bench for Northwestern. But in crunch time, when the Cats, like, the part of the success at Mich- against Michigan State was slowing down the ball and, and sending it through the paint. And 
against Wisconsin, uh, like Nick Medline's comment, you know, like, like, like you could talk about luck with the refs all you want. Nobody's forcing this team to take, you know, mid range floaters and flailing baby hooks with nobody under the rim. And so like, that's like, that's where like the offense, like just the disconnect on offense. And I'm not putting this on the players. Like the players are the players they're being coached. There's a system at place that, 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 if they're not following the system, like, or there ought to be a system in place. Yeah, there ought to be a system in place is maybe the better the better way to put it. But like, to see what worked so well against Michigan State, and 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 yes, it was much more successful against Hauser than it was Marble when you know Michigan State made some adjustments too. And I'm not suggesting that like Wisconsin was not going to make any adjustments, etc. But it just it just seemed like there was not a plan, and we we went back to this kind of like space the floor and let Pete Nance take over and like. I love Pete Nance. Pete Nance has a ton of talent and a ton of upside and has been great for this team this year, but we need a plan B well, sometimes when that plan A ain't working. Well, what's funny too is you know, you talk about Nance and ironically, there was that clear concerted effort, right? Where Collins was basically like, Nance, I want you to shoot Nance like the first couple of trips down. Like it was that concerted effort, right? To like get Nance to, 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 be involved deeply in the offense to start the game. And it didn't really work particularly well, but I mean, there was that idea. But what's funny to me is, I mean, everything you said earlier is true about the degree to in the Michigan State game with Nance out, they had to find a new thing. You know, it was, there was more Ryan Young centric action and Ryan Young had this great game and we wanted to see way more of in the, in the, in the, um, we needed to see that more in the Wisconsin game. Ironically, everyone was talking about, I mean, the announcers were saying, like, it's great to have Nance back. And they specifically were like, it's great to have Nance and Young in the lineup at the same time. One of the reasons they were talking about it is because those are both potentially freakishly athletic players who are incredibly big and long and with high work rates on the defensive end. And that's a huge benefit to the defensive side of the ball. But one of the things I realized is Nance is great to have on the court with Young because Nance will happily give the ball to Young at any opportunity. And because Nance, Nance is, is a great passer, yeah. Nance also spaces the floor. Right. And, and, but I mean, and Nance is just, we know for his faults, has zero ego of any kind. And not to say that this is an ego situation. I don't, I don't want to frame it that way. Like I'm saying, like our guards don't give the ball to Ryan Young. But it's like, if you've got Nance on the floor and Nance even thinks Ryan Young is remotely in a position to score, Nance is giving the ball to Ryan Young. And it was a situation where, I mean, some people are going to be like, look, Ryan Young, you'll see him trip over his own feet sometimes. You'll see him like biff a layup, you know, like in the low. And it's like, those things happen sometimes. Ryan Young's also kind of a unicorn. He's close to six foot. I mean, he's close to seven foot, large, and has an unbelievable motor. And those kind of guys are not that common. And one of the things that I was acutely conscious of in the Wisconsin game, well, well, there's kind of two things. One, any time we got a solid entry pass into Ryan Young in the low block, that was almost always a bucket. Um, I mean, like something like 80% of the time. He had a couple of misses, but at least a couple of those were times where he like drove into the lane and spun and tried to put it up and it just didn't go in. When we execute a quality inbound pass into the low block to Ryan Young, the success rate on that turning into a bucket is just incredibly high. And I bring that up only because 
you look at a team like Wisconsin, and it's just so structured where the way they'll, they're trying to generate those kind of looks. And it's just so much of it is like concerted efforts to generate looks, whether they be in the low block or work at the inside out game, et cetera. And I mean, there was one play, we thought about tweeting it and we didn't because I was like, the, the goal here is not to shade Chase Adige because this isn't an Adige thing. It's not a boo-booey thing. It's a system thing. But there was one moment in the game where Adige was, had the ball and was staring at Ryan Young, isolated in the low block, calling for the ball. And the next thing that happened in that possession was a contested corner jumper. And Adige hit the jumper. But that's kind of like the point, right? It's like so many games, it just seems like Northwestern rises and falls by whether or not Adige or Bowie are hot. And it just seems like, again, you've got Ryan Young, God love him, like that guy's work rate is crazy. He's fighting to establish himself in the block all the time. And it's just, it's, and of course, like these are problems that predate Ryan Young getting heavy minutes. And it just tends, it tends to be like Northwestern looking like they don't have a plan and looking like we're just at the whim of whoever's hot on a given night. I I was going to say, think back to the tournament year and the year after. And, and how much did those games hinge on the play of Scotty Lindsay and, and Brian McIntosh, despite the fact that Derek Pardon and Vic Law were, like, arguably the best players on the team and and had so much success, you know, when we would get the ball to them down low. Um, so, I like, this, this, is, this is kind of a feature of Collins. I, like, I want to call back to the Jordan Nash conversation we had last year, too, because, remember... Collins' system is not like I'm gonna I'm gonna help Boo Booey develop every element of his game and I'm gonna teach him how to be better in crunch time and how to read this and read that and and do this over here and do that over there. It's it's no boo, I need you to be better at this particular element within my system. So so like the point John just made about it being a system issue is because Collins coaches a system. He's not he's not trying to to build up each individual bas- player's like holistic, comprehensive basketball talent across seventeen different skills, he's teaching them and and emphasizing this is the shot or the decision that you make at this point in in the process, right? And so somewhere that's breaking down, and I think what's it, it's exacerbated by what has been a, a common problem for years now of. The rotations, which like a lot of people, not just us, have, have asked this question of like, what what is going on with rotations? Whether it's the Penn State game where, you know, for the last eight minutes in a game where the lead is, is evaporating, there's no rotating of players. Um, but then Collins has this almost like line change mentality of, all right, I'm going to start Baron and Nance and yada, 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 yada. And then like when it comes time to switch, I'm going to swap out like, four of the dudes for my quote-unquote second line and I think it's it's so ironic to me that the Baron Nance partnership is all about Baron's ability to space the floor for Nance and because he can shoot the three it just it gives Nance more room to work with and is meant to help open up the offensive end for Pete Nance who's inarguably our most talented basketball player What's hysterical is that when you put Ryan Young and Nance on the floor together, Nance spaces the floor for Young in a way that plays better to both their personalities and allows Northwestern to control the clock and possession more effectively. And it's just it's it's stunning to me that you have this disconnect um, just so apparent on the court. 
And and what's interesting, like you know, you mentioned that, but you know, with, with Collins, who has been shown, uh, we we know it's his like like you said, it's his system, and he makes the players fit his system as opposed to making the system fit the players, right? Like, I think it, it's all it's always been this way. I think so. I think so too. I do think there's another piece of it though. I mean, we talk about system, and that's true, but. I think there. I think Chris Collins is a certain type of coach, right? Um, Northwestern's won two conference games, and in each of those conference games, Chris Collins got doused with water by the players in the locker room after the game, right? You look at the way he's able to recruit and the level of recruit that he's been able to bring in, right? Which, I mean, up until his transfer, like, included Rowan Brumbaugh, right? In the face of... Regardless of what happened after that, right? Like, it was shocking when Brumbaugh committed to begin with, right? And I think Collins is a rah-rah guy. He's a player's coach. Um, and I think you you get that whole piece of it where, like, and I think the guys really want to play and show out for him, right? And you, you look at the way that in the face of just whatever we are, 20 and 63 in the, in the Big Ten over the past four and a half years— and the way that the team never quits, right? In the face of these losing streaks, the energy level is always really good. The energy level on defense is always really good, right? And I think you get so much positivity out of him and and a positive energy that he brings, right? And, and a bond and a brotherhood. What I don't think you get is someone going, I swear to God, if you don't give the ball to Ryan Young the next time he's open in the, in the low block, you're running on Monday. And you're, we're all going to show up and you're going to run suicides and it's, we're going to Herb Brooks you, right? I just don't think Collins is that kind of guy. And I think we, you have that period of time where ultimately I think you've got two ball-dominant high-personality guards in Bowie and Adige who are like, this is my show. I'm going to get my shots and, you know, we're going to get – and that's going to be – you know, we're going to ride or die off of me. And – Again, it's like, you know, Wisconsin has always been Wisconsin. So that's a very particular example. But you have it cast into sharp relief where, like, you watch Wisconsin and it's just five guys working like clockwork in uniform trying to get a bucket. And it's it just stinks because, again, I, I truly feel like, you know, Ryan Young... Be, can become the focal point of a system where you're rotating things around, you're working an inside-outside game, something that lends itself to just a, a higher degree of structure, right? Um, and I just don't think we have that. And again, it's like this is this is not a, a vacuum. It's like the whole idea of like, oh, Northwestern's lost close games. And it's like, yeah, for four and a half years, we've lost close games. And it's like, it's, it's the Big Ten. I actually looked up, right? It's, at, some, at some point, it's not bad luck. It's a feature. Right. Yeah. I th- I, and, and I was just looking. The other part of it is it's the flipping Big Ten. Like I was just looking up. I think I was looking at Maryland just recently lost to – I think it was like Maryland lost to Wisconsin by one and Minnesota lost to Michigan State by two. And those are recent results. And it's like – it's the Big Ten. It's knockdown dragouts, but you know what? It's like the good teams, and you know the announcers beat this to death about Wisconsin. The good teams tend to come out on top, and it just happens again and again. And when the margins are this tight in a conference like this, it's just like one close loss becomes five close losses, you know. And and 
this is where we are. It stinks. Um, but again, it's like the the idea that it, it it didn't feel like we took one step forward and then one step back this week. It it felt like we were able to pull out this great win that still left us feeling like uh, this is going to happen. And then and then the the next game did happen. And then, of course, you know, go, going into this weekend where we, you know, travel down I-65 uh, to Mackey Arena at Purdue. Uh, Purdue coming off a home lot or, no, sorry, a road loss. Uh, yeah, at, yeah ang- angry Purdue. Yeah, Not just ang- Purdue, angry. angry. Purdue, who just lost to Indiana uh, 68-65 tonight. Um, so, you know, that'll be fun. And, it's, it's, and we're, in a, we're in a rough stretch of the of the schedule but it's the, like you said it's the big 10 the entire schedule is rough you know at it it's at purdue then at michigan home against number 17 illinois home against rutgers at nebraska who is abjectly bad and then home against indiana at illinois home against purdue and and so on and so forth it's just like and the thing is it's like northwestern continues to be a really athletic team with a lot of like athletic guards, the capability of putting a really good defensive lineup on the court, they play their asses off. And this is something where it's like, even after the, the Penn State game, right, after surrendering that horrible lead, right, collapsing, they still almost in miraculous fashion tied the game at the very end of the game. Um, every game is close. These guys battle like hell to the very end. And the offense is just, it is what it is. It always is the same thing, where we always feel like, will be as close as a hot Adige night or a hot buoy night. And and that will that will take us as far as we can. And then once the defense adjusts to that, we will find ourselves in trouble again. And it's like it it just stinks because this team, like, there's no reason to believe we're not going to continue to play the rest of the teams on our schedule close. Like they probably will. They're a high and, and what's what's crazy, like it it with games this close, it really is like one or two buckets over the course of the game, and that's the difference. Right. And and again, you know, you mentioned it off the top, the officiating. Like, we have gotten screwed by the refs two games in a row. There's there's no doubt about it. Like, Adij, that was a total screw job. Like, he got a clean pick. The announcers at the time tried to frame it after the fact, like, well, to give the official a little bit of leeway, he saw Adige going in for the foul. Adige was going in for the foul. The ball happened to to go right into, and he got a lucky clean steal, but he was looking to foul. The ref was looking to call foul. No, that's not what happened at all. Adige was looking, Adige was looking to rip it and did. A legit elite defender in the Big Ten. And that, right. that is where it is like really frustrating that Northwestern gets the short end of the respect, a respect stick. Um, but I like to a point that I think Trey Essex made, like, yeah, that was a shitty call, but un- until we're, like, not doing stupid things with the basketball, like, earlier in the game on the offensive side, like, you can't you can't complain about that too much because Northwestern that, put that themselves in a position for that to screw them. Yeah, and that wasn't the play that lost the game. I mean, the game was lost elsewhere, and, yeah, we got a bad call at, at that point, and that sucks, but, like, it's not like that one bad call costs us the game. Yeah. Well, and and we've been singing Ryan Young's praises, but he struggled at the at the free throw line. Like, there's just it's, it the little things add up. Right. That's how you that's how you lose every close game for four and a half years. Right. And I think that and that's the part of it piece. Right. And we we were talking about this amongst ourselves is like, 
You can split hairs now and talk about officiating or free throw margin or whatever. But, I mean, in in weeks, months, years, we're just going to zoom out and look at this four plus five, you know, five years all in one group, right? I mean, it all looks the same from space. And I think, and that's the problem right now. So, I mean, it's like you you want to see it. You want to see us find a way to integrate young in a way that we haven't, you know, like like we did in the Michigan State game. You want to see this team find an offensive identity that extends beyond a hot hand. Um, you want to see these things come together. Because, and it's like literally if this team suddenly found a system, an offensive identity, a set plan where we could see a plan in motion every time we came down the floor. I mean, the margins are so thin, right? The, 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 the victory margins are so we're losing by such small amounts that that could change but it hasn't changed up until now right and i think like we're we'd be we'd all be fools to just expect that that it is going to change and again that goes all the way back to what i was saying before about you know pessimism and malaise and the stuff that i'm sure makes the team mad and makes other northwestern athletes mad etc and it's like you know it's you you try the best you know you you try to hope for the best and hope that things are going to work out it's just it's in the face of, of, a, of a lot of this, many years of this exact thing happening. So, again, it's yeah, like, it, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, we look at the past to judge what we think is going to happen in the future. And like, until you can get over this hump, right, you know, you are the you, you are who we think you are. Right. And right? I mean, well, that, right. that doesn't mean we're not cheering for him. I mean, no, like, no, absolutely like, not. You know, like that down the stretch in that Michigan State game, um, we were we were locked in i think um when we did our last podcast was that the penn state game like john i feel like you were like you were like play by play the end yeah of the that penn was state game yeah, for Sam that's, and I. Like, that's some inside baseball the pod ended before the game did and then you know we were all kind of like watching just like the absolute lunacy of that game and it was it was the um not the the penn state game it was the oh yeah it was the penn state game where or no 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 was it the no, it was the Maryland the Maryland game, Maryland game where it went into overtime and it was just such a crazy um, you know back and forth crazy thing where it was like two teams that were making mistakes left and right playing with an extremely high level of energy in a tight game and it and it, it was I mean it was like the intensity with which Northwestern plays pulls you in and it that's what pulls you in and then you get frustrated by the lack of execution and it's a vicious cycle that just goes forever and it's it's exhausting and that's the that's the thing and i mean i think you know this is what's led so many people to start talking about a change etc and i know there's still 13 games left in the season there's a long long way to go so um you know it's let's let's hope that you know, if something great can come out of the Purdue game, awesome. There is a little bit of an underbelly coming up. You've got Rutgers. You've got a Michigan team that's been really up and down this season. You've got a horrible Nebraska team, you know, a mediocre Indiana. So, I mean, it's like there are opportunities coming up long term. And you know, the the optimist would say that a team, you know, you, you want. You want to be that optimist to be like a team that's had this many close games is right there. And. We've been right there for years, so he, I mean, here's hoping. the The one thing, the the one thing we should mention before we get out, talking about support of the team, right? There's that one thing that we ought to mention. So, support for the team at the game, at the Wisconsin game, was awesome. It was the students' first chance to go back, right? Um, they had been kind of remote classes, not allowed to attend. 
they were finally able to go back. They packed the place. It was an awesome environment, right? You could you could tell on TV that the students were there. Students, student athletes, the wild side out in full force. And unfortunately for a group of Northwestern fans, there was a Wisconsin fan who started chirping back and forth with uh, Northwestern students and then took it to a racist place um, and used... Racism specifically targeted at those of Asian or Pacific Islander descent. Uh, not going to go into it uh, other than that it was clearly racist. And it was just, it was really rough to see. It was, you know, this was a Wisconsin fan, Northwestern fan. It, it was horrible. Northwestern Nation immediately called it out and everything. He was escorted out by police. And, and to, to their credit, Wisconsin... Oh. Fans called it oh, out too. Totally disavowed like, it, and as has Wisconsin itself. We're like, this guy's banned from Wisconsin sporting events going forward, etc. Um, and I mean, it's like the the sentiments by everybody, other than this person, were all note perfect in terms of where they should be. And yet, the idea that we have Northwest, the idea that anybody should have to deal with this, but the idea that Northwestern, you know, students going and supporting their team and doing everything that we want and then being met with racism was just, I mean, just horrible. I mean, it's just absolutely horrible. So again, it was, you know, we've, as we said on Twitter, just so much love for, you know, our fellow Northwestern, you know, Northwestern students, Northwestern fans, Northwestern supporters, but especially anyone who had to deal with that crap, which was just the, you know, just the absolute garbage, and it's just disgusting that anyone should have to deal with that in today's day and age. So we love you guys. Absolutely to all that. Two quick comments on the back of that. One is that, like, like props to the folks at Welsh Ryan, uh, whoever, like, is, is, is part of this apparatus. But removing that fan, um, Sam and I experienced something similar way back in the day uh, when there were uh, two Michigan fans in the Northwestern uh, student section uh, lobbing, um, you know, racial slurs at Muhammad Hashad. Um, I, 2004, 2005, 2006, I can't exactly remember. Somewhere in there, yeah. In in a similar vein, like, I remember I was the one that went and talked to the security guards, and there was no questions asked, so they took care of it immediately. And so, um, A, props to the folks at Welsh Ryan who take this stuff seriously. And B, if you're a Northwestern fan, do not put up with this shit yeah. from from other fans, from our own fans. It is one zillion percent unacceptable. Get those assholes out of the stadium as fast as you possibly can. Yeah. And and again, it's absolutely. Yeah. And saddest thing. But I mean, it's talking about awareness, right? It even if it's just one asshole, it calls into relief that, you know, there are our fellow students, alumni, right family members of of color and of minority descent are dealing with this shit and zero tolerance and it ain't stopped so yeah exactly yeah um completely agree with everything you guys just said uh rough pivot but uh yeah we are going to pivot to talk (laughs) about women's basketball now um yeah, bit of a rough stretch for uh, for the ladies um, past little bit uh, at, since going to Iowa and you know laying the smackdown on Iowa, gone one in three since then, um, with a, a tough loss tonight to Penn State. 
um, losing to Ohio State, beating Rutgers, and then dropping a, a trip to East Lansing. And then, to, like I said, tonight against Penn State. Uh, just, you know, it, it's a bit of a rough stretch. But, you know, I think we all know when Veronica Burton turns it on, I, there's no one better. Period. The end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I think we're just seeing the growing pains of this team right now, right? So, like, tonight – um, Northwestern went kind of small ball to, to combat what, what is a small ball lineup from Penn State. Uh, they, they, they started um, Le- Leah Hartman instead of um, uh, Kaylee Walsh. Uh, Hartman has been awesome off the bench. This wasn't, you know, this wasn't just about matchups. This was, you know, uh, very warranted from her play against Michigan State and in pre- prior games. But, um, you know, teams are targeting Burton you know, limiting her as much as they possibly can and, and trying to make the cats beat them elsewhere. And it's a young squad. You know, we've talked about this before. Um, they, they have a lot of talent, whether it's, you know, Maggie Daly, Kaylee Walsh, Jillian Brown, the, you know, these awesome freshmen, you've got, you know, uh, Kayla Rainey and Paige Mott and, um, Hartman, like players that are, you know, young in their careers, and it's just growing pains right now, right? Like uh, tonight, Burton was, um, you know, not she she two of five from three, six of twelve from from the field, two of six from the stripe. Still scored sixteen points, was the leading scorer for Northwestern, uh, was the second leading scorer in the game, and uh, you know there were two other players in double figures for the Cats, but it was ten and eleven, and they like they, they just they need a little bit more. Um, at the same time, like you know, if she was perfect from the stripe, like that's that that game's you know down to a to a to a buzzer a shot at the buzzer, right? To see if uh, if if Penn State can win, but um, but it's hard to ask Burden to be perfect every night, right? And so like I like I just see this stretch as Northwestern struggling through the growing pains of having a young squad, and um, come February March you know, when rubber really starts to hit the road, um, hopefully, hopefully some of these young players have the, op- have, you know, have got the, the legs underneath them and have, have seen enough situations to, um, to elevate their game. We'll see what happens. Right. I, to, you're totally right. I think the, one of the things you talked about with the young players specifically is the issues of like offense and defense. And Scuzz, you were on this pretty early talking about where it's like Walsh, immediately asserted herself as an offensive presence this season on a team that needed someone to do that. And then on defense has kind of been finding her way a little bit as she's banging in the Big Ten, right, with some of the very best post players in the country. And I think one of the things you've seen, not just with her, but with some of the young teams in general, is like the tendency to give up fouls, right, and um, get in foul trouble. And Penn State just exploited that and they just hit a ton of free throws. Like they had, I think, a couple of girls just like hitting free throws like crazy, especially down the stretch. Um, and Hart, I think Hartman had three personal fouls tonight, too. Yeah. So the, so I mean, like that's, and that's your growing pains issue. And then, you know, the, along the same line, they went out to Michigan State and we talked about this earlier in the season. Where does the scoring come from on a night where Veronica Burton is just off and not having a good night? Well, and Michigan State, she was off, and the rest of the... I mean, it was like, even compared to anything else they've experienced offensively as a team this season, there were, there might as well have been a lid on the rim. They could not hit anything. I mean, the shooting percentage was... I mean, it was absolutely atrocious. They went 
one one to one for ten in the second half on threes. But I mean, they shot. They might have even shot like sub thirty percent as a team. It was really low. And so you're you're gonna have games like that as you figure it out. And again, this remains a team loaded with recruiting talent, loaded with talent that has shown up. The ability to play straight up with a team like Iowa and take them down. And yeah, they're there. But again, it's like on the flip side. Where you're trying to bolster a tourney resume, you don't get too many mulligans, and uh, uh, you know that Penn State loss at home is not a good one. Now they have Maryland and Iowa back-to-back games, so again, chances for quality wins are are right there. And you know this team can easily get hot and take one or both of those. So they they're looking and, to get back on track. And it's tough. You look at the box score tonight. Um, you know, Penn State shot 36 percent from the floor. Northwestern shot 35 percent. Um, Northwestern got 33% from three. Penn State only had 26%. But at the line, right. Northwestern was 45% from the line, and Penn State was 100%. Did not miss a free throw. I, I think the I think the small guard lineup from from Penn State or the small lineup, you know, starting four guards from Penn State, really, really, um, I think that was designed in part to go at Northwestern's blizzard. Um, and 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 see if they could use speed to to stretch that zone to a breaking point. Um, you saw Satterwhite had four fouls, Hartman had three. So like I, you know, um, we'll 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 see if they can rebound against against Maryland um, and or Iowa. It, like folks, folks, circle that Iowa game. Um, it's the uh, Thursday the twenty seventh. It's on the road, or it's a home game for Northwestern. It's a home game, yeah. Um, if if you haven't listened to our last pod where we detailed some of the last game, I'm not going to go back into it here, but like, like Burton V Clark round one was incredible. Um, I will also point out Caitlin Clark notched a uh, 30 point triple double tonight. Second in a row. Her second in a row. A a tweet by um, one of these like stats uh, oriented Twitter, Twitter accounts. Um, I'm just going to read this back to back 30 point triple doubles in the NBA, WNBA and division one men and women's college basketball since the year 2000. Here's the list. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Luka Doncic, Giannis. I can't pronounce uh, his last name and Caitlin Clark. That's amazing. Round two of Burton versus Clark is going to be awesome. Now, like, I mean, all things being equal, like taking two from Iowa is going to be exceedingly difficult. But um, still, like that is like that should be appointment viewing uh, a week from tonight, uh, 8 p.m. Central or 8 p.m. Eastern. Sorry. Um, get to get get to Welsh Ryan if you can and if you and if you feel comfortable doing so. Yeah, four triple doubles Clark has on the season. First Big Ten women's basketball player ever to put up back-to-back triple doubles in history. Yeah, so I mean, these are major. I mean, that's going to be a major opportunity. And again, it's like Northwestern is when things click for this team, they're tap- capable of taking on and taking down anyone in the conference. So again, it's like they're they've they're on a little bit of a rough stretch, but they could easily right the ship right away. Um, some football uh, news: the transfer portal uh, giveth and taketh. Um, finally, you know, finally, the transfer giveth. portal giveth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're getting some guys back. Um, before we get to them, I do want like we mentioned very briefly last week, uh, Hunter yeah. Johnson entering the transfer portal. Um, you know, we didn't find out until after after we hit stop. You know, a couple days later, uh, that he's going back to Clemson. Uh, 
very interesting move. And, you know, when you hear what he was saying, you know, he was planning to, you know, attend Clemson to get his MBA and, you know, was asking Dabo if he could, you know, be a grad assistant for the team. And I guess Dabo was like, well, why don't you come play? So there's a lot of interesting, like, takes floating around about this. And I think um, I think there's a lot of Northwestern fans that have been pretty uncharitable toward Hunter, frankly. Um, obviously, his tenure at Northwestern did not work out. Like, full stop. Um, I, you know, that doesn't mean that he didn't have a, a couple nice games. It doesn't mean, like, who, n- n- none of us <laughs> and none of y'all, for the most part, were at practices or in the QB room or understand, you know, what his relationship or contribution was. I think... One of the things that was interesting through the course of last season is as we saw struggles from Andrew Marty, as we saw struggles from Ryan Helinski, there were people asking, like, why doesn't Hunter get another shot? And, you know, one of the things we started watching at the games was, like, we, we would see Hunter on the sideline kind of standing quite far apart from the team. So, like, it it, it felt like the end of the road for, for, for Hunter one way or another, like, like, he, you know, he wasn't coming back to play for Northwestern. He was probably graduating, moving on. Um, I think what's really interesting about this is, um, so first of all, if you follow Clemson at all this past year, like they were not a good football team and they struggled mightily at the quarterback position in terms of like turnovers and um, just like decision-making, et cetera. Um, those weren't necessarily Hunter's strong suits uh, at Northwestern either. But here's, here's, the, here's my take on Clemson. Clemson is a team that has a significant talent advantage over 10 out of the 12 teams on their schedule every single year, especially on offensive line and at, and at the wide receiver position. And they just need a QB to make one read and throw an accurate ball. Like a lot of, a lot of the, um, I mean, like take a look at Hunter at, or at, at Trevor Trevor Lawrence and um, some of the critiques that he's got in the NFL. Like, just frankly, not being NFL ready, he's not ready for the, the complex reads that that QBs are often asked to make, and he doesn't have the luxury of of an O line that can dominate ten out of twelve games on the schedule like he had at Clemson. He doesn't have uh, the the massive talent advantage at at his you know in his skill position players that he had at Clemson, and so when you look at it from that perspective, like I think, I think Hunter Johnson probably has a better chance of, of, of succeeding on the field at Clemson that he did it. than he did at Northwestern where frankly, the quarterback position has to be the primary playmaker. I mean, you look at the way that Ramsey played, you look at Thorson, Persa, even all the way back to Kustak, like the nature of Northwestern's depth and talent differential is just that you, you need an outsized talent at QB who can make things go. And um, that wasn't Hunter's destiny here. I wish him all the best at Clemson. But I think like like people who are saying like or like kind of either a making a joke of this or b reading it as like a a huge red flag on Northwestern's quarterback development. Like I like it doesn't look good for Northwestern quarterback development. But I don't think it. I don't think it's um, a an indictment necessarily either. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of hard to say, and then other people have making the point of like he wanted to be a grad assistant there are only so many spots for grad assistants but like they could have an available scholarship for him where he could slot onto the team that way or maybe he's not going to get a scholarship but yeah again like we're assuming he's going to get a scholarship until proven otherwise but um right i mean you're absolutely right i mean it's it's hard to know i mean on one hand your instinct is to be like no like they've 
like Clemson is Clemson and everything, and it's like, well, their offense was, you know, every quarterback's going to get a chance to show out in the offseason for the way that offense performed. And it is. I mean, it's it's a weird situation, but I think the bottom line is we want the best for him. I mean, he no one's had a rougher road in college under the weight of expectations and everything that happened than Hunter. And obviously, every Northwestern fan wishes he would have had more success here. But, I mean, It'd be pretty awesome for him if he was able to do something at Clemson. So we'll we'll see. And if not, go ahead get your get a, a graduate degree at Clemson where you started, and you know you've got your Northwestern degree. Tack a graduate degree onto that, and and go get the most out of life. Uh, so you know that is the the taking of the transfer portal. Let's talk about what we were able to get from the transfer portal. Um, yeah, we, we talked last last week about nice. the, the yeah, yeah c- couple defensive tackles or a couple yeah big defensive linemen. Uh, Tyshawn Holmes, we talked about him last week. Uh, I believe we talked about Henrik Barnt. Did we or no? Didn't no, we we didn't. No, no and we didn't. The interesting thing about both Holmes and Barnt. Um, so first of all, they're they're both. I mean, these are guys who are not coming from large schools um, and. They're not coming from schools that were tremendously successful either, right? So you're talking about UMass and you're talking about Indiana State, right? So these are well, not U- UMass and uh, Virginia State and Garden right. City Community Holmes, College. Holmes has had an unbelievable, like Netflix should do a, a you know a, a special on the road that he's taken to get to Northwestern. It's an incredible road. Um, Scuzz, you made the point, you know, talking when we saw these transfers, where it's like, look, Mazer came in from Old Dominion. And we weren't exactly like, you know, talking about his accolades from the moon. We were excited, you know, because again, at the time we were looking at him potentially as like a three, four role, but he ended up being one of our very best defensive linemen last year. So, I mean, there's, there certainly is that opportunity. The interesting thing with both of these guys is despite the fact that these are both grad transfers and despite the fact that I believe they are both seniors, um, Technically, I think there's a potential for two years of eligibility out of each of them. Um, I think I think in I guess in the case of Holmes, it's not that he's technically a senior. It's that to Sam's point, despite this incredibly long journey he's already been on in college, he has two years of eligibility remaining. And then in the case of Barnt, we had tweeted about this, and then someone came back with some interesting information where basically we talked about the fact that. Every player was granted a potential extra year of eligibility because of COVID. But with Indiana State in particular, we talked about this when we previewed Indiana State this summer. Um, Bart legitimately missed an entire year of football. Indiana State canceled their 2020 season completely. So he just sat and didn't get to do anything for a year. So there is that argument that if everybody gets one year, a guy like that should get two years. We kind of threw that out into the Twitter sphere and someone immediately came back and was like, there is a petition going to try to get players in that situation exactly that extra year of eligibility. So we will see in the case of a guy like Bart, but he may have two years of eligibility also. So again, they're both very large individuals who play a position of great need for Northwestern um, and Again, it's like, and potentially we're getting extra years of eligibility. So yeah, that was, that was, and that was the start of things. It only got better from there. Yeah, we, uh, we picked up a legacy, um, at least with uh, some NFL uh, legacy. Uh, Luke Akers, the son of uh, former Eagles kicker, David Akers, 
uh, transferring from UCLA. Uh, looks like he's going to be our punter coming in, and you know he's one of the top uh, punting recruits. You know when he was when he came out of high school, I believe. So I think Bradley Locker from uh, the Daily had this, um, and that's that. This this means that Northwestern will essentially have like the number three and number four uh, rated kicking specialists um, from what the class of what 2020 or whatever class that they're in um, class of whenever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Out of high school. Um, so, cause you know, a, a reminder for everyone who, who may not remember, um, cause we never saw him last year, but, um, we've incredible, well, who knows why. Yeah. An incredible kicking prospect, a place kicking prospect on the team. Um, Jack transfer from Michigan state. Yeah. Jack Olson, Jack Olson. who also was a transfer, yeah. right? Yeah. Who's, who's, um, really highly regarded, et cetera. So like the, the potential for, um, I mean, you know, Derek Adams was a, was a great, uh, great transfer at, at punter for Northwestern, put in two phenomenal years for the cats. Um, obviously he's, he's moving on this year. And so, uh, we won't, we won't miss a beat there, but hopefully that specialist group is a lot stronger next year as a result. Uh, we, uh, from Colorado state, uh, Vince Picozzi, offensive lineman. This is, a, um, this is a real sleeper. Um, and up of potentially quite important. Um, yeah, I think we're, this was one from, so like Sam said, he's from Colorado state. Um, and prior to that, was it temple? Is that yeah, right? Walked on, walked on at temple in 2016, starting 34 games for temple, uh, every position except for right tackle. So he is versatile anywhere on the offensive line. Transferred to Colorado state for last season, got hurt. That's, and the, the short of it is he got hurt. But he, I mean, he played, he was, Phil Steele had him AAC, all-conference fourth team, and then he transferred to the mid, to uh, Mountain West, and Pro Football focused had him preseason Mountain West second team, and he was on his way to do that. He was like their best lineman, and then got hurt. So, again, you're, you're talking about a guy who got a season-ending injury, so that's a, a big thing, right? Like, he's got to recover from that injury. But you're talking about a guy, I, you know, I don't care if it was non-Power 5. All-conference lineman is all-conference lineman. That means he started, played, and was good at the college level. At the very least, he's going to battle for depth, you know, battle for a spot at guard and battle with the rest of the trench cats. It's just, it was a quality pickup. Um, a Like Sam said, battle-tested offensive lineman of a potential all-conference caliber. Um, and, you know, it's great. It's great line depth. And uh, finally, for now, and you know, the portal is still open, so there's definitely more to be coming, hopefully. But uh, you might remember us talking um, this past summer as we were previewing uh, Duke about uh, cornerback Jeremiah Lewis. John, can you take us back? Yeah, literally in the Duke summer preview, we said, and I quote, Duke returns both corners, including the excellent Jeremiah Lewis, who has great size. That was what we said. Now Jeremiah Lewis is a wildcat. Um, this is, you can't really undersell this. This is the piece de resistance of this recruiting class right now. As of right now, he's the Stefan Robinson. Um, you, can't, you can't undersell. This guy played in close to 40 games for Duke and was good, very good, after being a major recruit who Northwestern targeted and he went to Duke instead. Was great for Duke. He's not hurt. 
He's not anything. He's just moving on. Um, and in addition to the fact that he's just a great corner to begin with, we were kind of talking a lot about this and speculating about this, but he comes from, you know, Duke plays four two five heavily. And I don't we don't know that he actually played nickel and played. I think he played a lot of outside corner, but in that defense, they it's predicated on big corners who like to hit. And that's what he is. So if you're looking at that star package and thinking about a guy who potentially could play that role, um, you know, at a high level and like fit right in and start battling for reps there, like he certainly is that. But inside, outside, he's just a marquee corner. Um, and this was a, a major pickup that, uh, like, celebrate this one. This is a big deal. It really helps the overall depth of Sky Team. Yeah, so, um, you know, that's kind of the news from the transfer front. Um, do it, what, what, is this, what does this put us at net? Is this, like, are we minus one, minus two? No, we've um, had five guys come in, and I, can, I cannot in, uh, we had a Hollis stay. Then we're out Blake, Tara Edwards, Payne Bear, Hunter, Brandon Joseph, and Jordan, Jordan Mosley. Yeah. And so Jalen I mean, like, Rivers. Right. Like we and killed, Jason Whitaker. Right. And I guess Trey, Trey Finneson, you could you know count Zach yeah. Krause. I mean, those both walk-ons. But I mean, so, it's like yeah. you so call, call it minus three. Well, I mean, you can and and it's true. Like you can't. We're we're not we're not here to sugarcoat. Like losing Jake, losing Joseph and Mosley sucks just as bad as it did a week ago, two weeks ago. Right? Like that didn't get better. Um, but rewind. Right? It's it's easy to forget now. Not forget, but it's just been a while since we landed Wendell Davis through the portal. Right? Which was a big pickup through the portal. So. Yes, like losing Edwards, et cetera, losing the various guys to graduation. Like, But Northwestern has picked up impact valuable transfers at all three levels on defense where, you know, those guys are all going to be sorely needed. So um, there it's it's the portal does giveth and quality and, and credit to the coaches, right, for helping secure these guys. I mean, again, I think they're postseason anyway. It doesn't feel like there was a lot these guys, you know, like Joseph, right? Like he was going to go and, and find the best situation. And and that was what it was. But credit to the coaches for going out and, and landing some, some real impact transfers that are really going to help this team. Well, I think it's important to like the, the transfer portal is a new situation. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, it's, and it's and as we've talked before, like this is. This is a hard thing that Fitz and the staff are having to come to grips with. Like, how do they how do they navigate this? How do they manage um, this you know unknown factor that kind of hangs over the program every year? And like, I just like it's it's one or two data points, but I want to compare and contrast. Like, Indiana was expected to do great things this year, had a horrible season, like as bad as Northwestern. Um, as disappointing as Northwestern, given, you know, may, maybe even more so um, given the returnees that they had, they're minus 17 net players in the transfer portal at this stage. So I like, I don't, I, again, I don't put that up there to, 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 you know, try to make us all feel like great about Northwestern. You know, the, the point is though, that like, as a point of comparison, right? Like, that's a rougher situation <laughs> and, 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 and it's not too hard to imagine that, that we could be there, but for, for whatever that, whatever, 
I don't know if I want to say confidence, but for whatever confidence or like reassurance or um, like just slightly warm feelings that give that gives you for the relationship between the players on Northwestern's team and the coaching staff. Like it's it's um, the bottom's not falling out as as some have have perpeted uh, over the over the prior months. Right. And it's it it always. And again, like we're all victim to right like that that sky is falling thing you're talking about right where it's like we've all climbed into the well at some point over the past you know that football season right and everything that's come like and this isn't to say like oh things are hunky-dory now etc but it does like scuzz said it's that moment to be like look jeremiah lewis could probably have transferred just about anywhere right um, Luke Akers could have transferred to a lot of places. Wendell Davis could have transferred to a lot of places. Those guys chose to come to Northwestern for what Northwestern is as a program, as a school, right? They, like, the things that happened this past season did not erase. The sky did not fall. Yes, things are still rough. There's a lot a lot of things that have to get fixed, etc. But... I mean, North- we, we've had to talk a lot of people off the ledge. Right, and- exactly. <laughs> including ourselves. Yeah. Including both of you guys. Right, right. But <laughs> there but there are these moments, right, where outside of the raw football perspective, where it's like these guys are great and will help the team, it is a reminder that to a guy like a Jeremiah Lewis, who has plenty of options as a grad transfer, he's looking and being like, Northwestern is the right place for me. And there's a big reason for that. And all of those reasons didn't just go away overnight. So, again, to try to end this on some positivity and be like, hey, these were good. The portal delivered good news for the past couple of weeks. And I think the that may, you know, we may even get more good news coming off of that. So hold on to that. It's a starting place. Yep. Still a lot to be decided. I mean, we're... Nowhere even close to, well, I guess we are getting kind of close to spring practice just because, you know, in the past, Northwestern spring practices happened so early. Uh, so we might see a little bit of spring practice coming up here in the next month or so uh, before spring break and then coming back after that. But, uh, you know, we're a long way away from August 28th and a lot is going can and will happen between now and then uh, before, you know, we jump on the plane, head over the pond to Jolly old Ireland. Gonna be good times. Before our, I'm still not. I'm, I'm still not ready. Before, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. You you could hear me trying to to arise some enthusiasm there. It, you're right. <laughs> it, it's it's too soon. It's too soon. We're in the winter. It's basketball season. Let's focus on that. Uh, we got. Uh, lacrosse we got softball we got baseball coming up uh we got some spring sports to to talk about before we uh really focus in on the football season for next year so we'll leave that there anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight guys we we already mentioned it already at the end of the we talked about women's hoops and we'll probably have potted before this point but i'm not 100 percent sure so just to get it out there that's a hot ticket a week from tonight that's next thursday night northwestern hosting iowa Veronica Burton versus Caitlin Clark. I mean, that's a hot ticket. You're talking mano a mano, one of the best Northwesterns ever had, versus Caitlin Clark, who's going to start in the WNBA for a long time. And again, hopefully Veronica Burton will be right there with her. But this, hopefully this will be the, you know, 
uh, the next in what will become a line of many battles the two of them have. But that's it's just a hot ticket. Get yourself to Walsh Ryan if you can, and if you feel it's safe to do so, and and watch that game because that's an that's an awesome thing to be able to see in the middle of the winter. Well, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the Westlaw of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy, and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. We'll